everyone, I'm Dr. Susie Green, the founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute, and welcome to my new podcast, Coach Plus, the art and science of positive psychology coaching. I'll be chatting to both academics and practitioners who are working in the evolving field of positive psychology coaching. We'll be looking at the interplay between the complementary fields of positive psychology and coaching psychology within an evidence-based coaching context. I'm hoping to equip practitioners with both knowledge and skills, and most importantly, have a positive impact on their way of being as positive psychology coaches. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Andrea Giraldez-Hayes. She is a chartered psychologist and an internationally sought-after coaching psychologist, supervisor, and consultant. She's the program director of the Masters of Science in Applied Positive Psychology and Coaching Psychology and director of the Wellbeing and Psychological Services Centre at the University of East London School of Psychology. As a consultant, she has worked for international governmental organisations in Spain, Latin America and the UK. She's an active practitioner, researcher and conference speaker. And she has also co-authored books and published on peer-reviewed journals, including her recent book, Applied Positive School Psychology, with Yolanta Burke, which I can highly recommend. Her main research interests are the boundaries between coaching and therapy and the use of arts and creativity in coaching psychology and supervision. She's currently the chair of the British Psychological Society's Coaching Psychology Training Committee and member of the editorial board of a number of peer-reviewed coaching psychology and positive psychology journals, including Coaching, an international journal of research, theory and practice, International Coaching Psychology Review, and Journal of Positive Psychology. Well, hello, Andrea. Welcome to Coach Plus. Hello, Susie. It's a pleasure to see you again. It's so lovely to see you. And of course, we only caught up uh, not that long ago in London, in September, I think it was. And I had the opportunity to spend three days with you in the recording studio. And as the program director of the MAPCP, and for those that don't know what that is, that's the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology and Coaching Psychology. You're the program director of that, Andrea. That was the world's first MAPCP, and uh, we're keen to hear a little bit more about that because we've made we've had a loner on, and uh, we've heard a little bit about it from a loner. But you're also the co-director of the Wellbeing and Psych Services Centre at UEL, so we'd love to hear a bit more about that, and in particular the role that positive psychology and coaching psychology plays in the centre too. But to start off with. If you could share a little bit about your journey into this world of coaching and specifically positive psychology coaching. Well, thank you, Susie. I started, you know, my professional life as a professional musician and then I became a community artist and that will explain then afterwards, you know, my connection to coaching. I was working, you know, with communities when I discovered coaching that was like 15 years ago. And I said, well, this is something I'm interested in. And long story short, 11 years ago, I decided to do a career change and I retrained as a psychologist and as a coaching psychologist. And since then, I've been working um, as a coaching psychologist, initially in the education sector, because my connections were there. And, you know, when people know you, I say, well, I'm a coaching psychologist now, and I started to get a lot of work working with teachers, university students. And then a few years later, you know, I stopped working in education and start working what I do now with middle leaders. 
So the arts and the music, that was, you were working within the education sector earlier on. Were you in that field? Yes, it was in the education sector. We'd love to hear more about that at some point. But And then, so how did that lead you to University of East London? Yeah, well, then when I was studying psychology, we had this model on positive psychology. And I said, oops, that's there's something <laughs> here. So I started like many other people with the Coursera course, you know, on yes. positive psychology coaching with Martin Seligman. And then just learning by myself and, and learning more, you know, in the master in psychology I was taking at the time. And I started using positive psychology in my coaching practice. And in back in 2018, there was an opportunity to come to the University of East London. To be honest, it was uh, a maternity cover, eight months. I left the interview being the director of the program. I don't know how they did it, but since then I've been there. Amazing, amazing. And having such a positive impact and influence on so many students. And I also know as part of the MAPCP, uh, the students are required to do, what's the correct term I'm trying to think of, in terms of a bit of a research study and and potentially publish the paper, is that right? Yes, uh, in the current program, because we are changing in the new program, there are different options, but in the current one, they are supposed to do an empirical study or it could be a theoretical, but most of them do an empirical study and it could be in positive psychology coaching or positive psychology coaching. A lot of them, you know, do research in positive psychology coaching. And instead of writing a classical dissertation, which in the UK should be around 20,000 words, we ask them to complete the research and then write a paper mm. that can be published and many many students you know in the last few years have published their papers which is great they have and in fact uh, I think I shared with you in my preparation for the module that I'm teaching for UEL I did a, a literature review and I was yeah it was amazing that there was so much coming out of UEL in the specifically more clearly and understandably on the topic of positive psychology coaching but as you and I both know it's a field that's evolving isn't it and uh, I guess I'm also curious because yourself included and some of our colleagues we've had some I definitely wouldn't say heated. I think we've had lots of discussions, not even necessarily debates, but lots of discussions. And we're all fairly open-minded people. And I know I'm keen to, and I know you are, to continue to try and understand others' perspectives and to see this field develop. Do you think the MAPCP is definitely adding to that conversation, you know, through the discussion of how do positive psychology and coaching psychology fit together and then specifically positive psychology coaching. I'm sure there's a lot of lively discussions that occur. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of discussions going on. And and I've been five years in the program only. So the program started back in 2013 with the positive psychology coaching psychology. And I've been five years and, and I still remember, you know, when I got into the program, the lecturers could go to the students and say, well, we are still exploring what positive psychology coaching means. And I even remember, you know, students getting a little bit upset and say, how exploring, you know, we're taking master. How come that you don't have all the answers? Yeah, right. And in these five years, you know, I, I've seen and observed not only at MAPCP, but also around, you know, that we seem to have much more clarity. And now positive psychology coaching, we can say it has become an established approach. So we have more answers than questions now. Yes, that's true. So do you share different definitions, current definitions by 
uh, including myself and, and some of our colleagues? Or do you, in terms of educating and communicating to the students, say this is the definition that we're currently utilising or you share the numerous definitions that exist at the moment? Yeah, we share different definitions, but to be honest, the official one is the one that you wrote with Stephen Palmer in Positive Psychology in Practice. Yes. So, because we think this definition encompasses many of the aspects that we want to cover in positive psychology coaching. Yeah, and don't ask me to quote it exactly right now, but for me it is the, and I think, and I can't actually quote the correct definition, but more recently, Andrea, I've been utilizing that early definition of evidence-based coaching by Tony Grant and Diane Stober. I think it was Stober and Grant 2006, and I've sort of modified it, but the intelligent use, and I've put in there of positive psychology science, the intelligent use of positive psychology science. For me, it then becomes the intelligent use within an evidence-based coaching context. And for me, it's also about the science and the art. So, learning the science of well-being, particularly having a breadth and depth, which you absolutely receive through a master's in positive psychology or a, or a MAP CP, you have such a yeah a breadth and depth of, of knowledge. And then for me, and I have about six private clients at the moment, and I really enjoy the creative part of it actually, of thinking, drawing on my, my knowledge bank, if you like, And the art then becomes of how do I bring that to life in the most useful way for this client? Definitely. And so can you share, because I do know, and you did just make reference to that as we came on, you have a particular interest in the arts and creativity. Have you published on that in terms of its application in positive psychology? coaching? Yes, I publish um, not so much. I have a project to write a book, but I published a chapter in a book that I co-edited with Yolanta Burke. It's it's, um, Positive School Psychology. So there is a chapter there about the use of arts. Yes. And now I'm writing a chapter about positive arts in health. In health. So in case health and well-being. So the book is coming. (laughs) Yeah. How this year, 2023, you think? Or... I think it's going to be 2024. Yeah. yeah. But I will get, and actually, I honestly, Andrea, I only just half an hour ago put your new book, uh, Positive School Psychology. I just put it back on the shelf because I took it down. I've just had a visit down to work with Geelong Grammar School, who as, oh, um, I might share that because I'm not sure if many people are aware that, of course, Geelong Grammar School being the first school in the world to adopt positive education and uh, having had Marty Seligman and a number of academics down there over the years teaching the teachers the science of well-being. And finally, I would say there's been an acknowledgement of the important role of coaching. And so we've been fortunate to work with them for the last two years and that's ongoing. Uh, They've created a learning coach role and we've been working with the learning coaches to upskill them in, in coaching Technique. So I took the book down to read on the way down in the plane. And uh, it's such a good book. I haven't finished it yet, Andrea, but uh, I'll highly recommend it and we'll certainly put a, a link to it in the notes as well. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, yeah. And I've written, of course, many books and papers, you know, but in Spanish in my whole life. Yeah. Uh, some students use them, you know, because now with Google Translator, they use them. I, I only started writing in English 10 years ago when I moved to the UK. Is that yeah. right? Amazing. Yes, I was aware that you'd published in Spanish. And uh, perhaps if there's any key publications, we'll share those yeah. as well. 
I will ask you a couple of questions, particularly given your academic background. Could you identify any key research findings from the field of positive psych that you think is very, very helpful for coaches to be aware of? And perhaps there may be, I'm hoping actually, that because this podcast is pitched at coaches that may not know much about positive psychology. And as you know, there's a a plethora of coaches across the globe, aren't there? And many of them that don't know about positive psychology and many of them that actually don't know much about coaching psychology. And my hope with this podcast is to, I guess, bring to life some of the academic findings and to help uh, coaches see how applicable that research can be. Is there anything you'd like to share with uh, with the audience around that? Yeah, well, for me, the main one, it's uh, all the studies around strengths. Yes. And not only because at the beginning it was, well, you need to use your strengths, you need to know your strengths. But especially, you know, when um, what we have learned about using, underusing and overusing strengths, that brings a lot, you know, into the coaching conversation and helps, you know, to reflect with the clients. First, you know, to find their strengths, because we know about our negative bias and, and people, you know, focus all the time in their weaknesses and the things they don't do well. So. I like changing the question and said, okay, all those are all the things that you are not good at. What are you good at? What are the things that you enjoy doing? And then when they become more aware, you know, of the strengths, they can use them in a positive way. Yes. And of course, they can stop overusing some of them because we know the challenge. So for me, that piece of research is um, it's basic. And there's quite a lot of strengths research, actually, isn't there? There's a significant amount of strengths used, but you're talking more specifically about within a coaching context. Do you think there's growing research and, and from the student's perspective, that's an area that they like to research and write on? Yeah, some students are interested in that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But actually, you know, some of the most recent papers, when they talk about positive psychology coaching, they talk about strengths-based coaching. Yes. I'm thinking now on uh, Fancil, you know, this paper published in Frontiers. Yes. Uh, some definitions there that they talk about strengths-based coaching. So we know it's not new because actually the first book that Robert Biscostiner published, I think was back in 2007, he was talking about it. Absolutely. Uh, I actually attended a workshop today on psychological health and safety in the workplace, which here in Australia, and I believe because uh, the company I attended the workshop, they've also got a, just started a UK presence now as well. For those that, that aren't familiar with this model, it's called the Integrated Approach to Workplace Mental Health. It was actually an academic paper published by Tony La Montagna is his name in, I think it was 2014, and I'll, I'll share that paper as well. The approach looks at within a workplace, when we're trying to build a psychological health, healthy and safe workplace, we need to mitigate risks. So we need to assess what are the psychosocial hazards and reduce them as much as is practical. Um, we need to manage illness. So for example, provide employee assisted programs or other support return to work. The third prong, which of course speaks to my heart, is known as promote positivity or promote flourishing. And um, for me, a large part of that is around wellbeing science education. And of course, there's coaching is is also another uh, approach. But today, the presenter actually noted that strengths-based interventions is also considered a key component of this promote flourishing, which again, I thought, yes, that's a great alignment. But then he presented some data to show that it's possibly the least utilised intervention in workplaces. I think this is mainly Australian 
data. And and I know myself when I go into organizations, it's how would I describe it? A scattergun approach. You know, there's no real strength strategy. There might be one-off workshops on strengths, but there's no follow-up in terms of a strengths-based coaching, I guess, intervention. What would be your thoughts around that as well? Do you think in the UK there's how much interest is there in strengths-based coaching or strengths-based interventions in the workplace? I think there is more interest in theory. You know, there are many coaches using strengths-based approach. And then I'm thinking about big consultancies like Baileys and Friends that they work with a positive psychology approach and they do a lot of training, you know, and services. And they include definitely, they talk about strengths, people learn about strengths. So I think it's probably more popular here in the UK. Don't ask me why, but that's the reality. And of course, you introduce your students, I believe, to not just the character strengths, the VIA, which of course I think is a, a wonderful tool to use because it refers to character and the capacity for us to be better human beings, really. But um, I'm also a big fan of the strengths profile, which of course was originally came from Professor Alex Lindley. Mm. And uh, then, of course, there's Gallup Strengths Finder, which a lot of organisations here in Australia use, and we certainly work with that here in Australia too. So the students are introduced to those different, I guess, more evidence-based tools? Yes, because I, I think we need to use, you know, a broader approach. So learning about characters or strengths is fine. So we introduce the different profiles. And, and of course, what we do, Sometimes we invite people, we have connections in Gallup, we have connections in the yes. strengths. Popular. So we, we have like guest lectures that can take students through that. Yeah, yeah fantastic. And uh, I know, you know, in speaking to Robert Biswas-Dina, as you, who you noted before, was the real pioneer and actually coined the term positive psychology coaching. And we are interviewing Robert as well, which is exciting, um, that he had a bit of a change of heart around perhaps the explicit use of tools. I'm not sure where he's sitting on that now. I'm going to ask him that. But I, I think I may have uh, reflected to Robert at some point that here in Australia, and I, I would argue in the UK, where it's not been commonplace to talk about strengths. And in fact, we have the tall poppy syndrome here in Australia. So you get knocked down if you do start to talk <laughs> too immodestly about your strengths. So for me, in introducing strengths, assessments has just been so wonderful to give people a language and permission, you know, and to look at an, an assessment rather than have to come up with the, you know, name those strengths themselves. It's been very, very helpful from a, a coaching perspective to use a tool. And you're bringing, you know, a different topic, but related is the use of PPIs and also strengths. You know, how do you use strengths with your clients? Do you ask them to take a strengths profile or do you just use the language in the conversations? And this is another debate within the program. And I always explain to students, you know, that there is no single answer that, as you said, you know, Robert started by saying, well, we use PPIs and this is positive psychology coaching. And nowadays he says, we don't use PPIs with the client, but I explain to students, well, some other people like Susie Green, yeah. for example, <laughs> and I bring a lot of examples, you know, from your book and, and other people, you know, there are many yes. other people that they think that the way is using PPIs and then having a coaching conversation and using coaching, this is another definition that I think you have. Uh, I don't remember who you wrote, but I know the story. When you talk about coaching, psychology is an amplifier for positive yes. psychology coaching. I love that. That was my uh, chapter with Dr. Sean O'Connor 
in future directions and well-being and I think we'll put a yeah. link, link to that too. So in that book, I guess we argued that evidence-based coaching has been included, I think, in possibly now four meta-analyses on PPI. So yeah. coaching as usual is a, a well-being enhancement intervention. We know that, but our argument was it can also be used to amplify any other positive psychology intervention. And we do see lots of schools and organisations investing in large investments in training and education or, or, you know, running a strengths workshop or some other sort of positive site workshop. And then we know takeaways or retention uh, transfer of training is less than 10% generally. So, again, this is why we need, and not telling you anything you don't know, but why we need coaching as, a, I guess, a lever to really amplify yes. that investment and transfer. And so I'm going to just circle back a little bit to your interest in arts and creativity how do you integrate the arts in? And do you currently have your own coaching clients, Andrea? Yes, I do. I do. Just a few because I can't take a lot. Yes. You know, I'm very, very busy at the university. But my commitment when I started working at the University of East London, I said, if I need to stop coaching, I don't want to work here because otherwise what I'm going to teach my students. That's right. So currently I see five clients per week, coaching clients, and then I, I do coaching psychology supervision uh-huh. and I may have uh-huh. two, three groups at the time. So this is my activity at the moment. I can't take more. I wish I could because I really enjoy doing that. So with your current clients, are you weaving your magic with the arts into your positive site coaching practice? With most of them, because this is something I explained, you know, during the contracting and then explain what I do and how we can use these tools. Most clients will say, yes, let's try it. Some clients go like, I don't like this. I just want like a talk, you know, a talking <laughs> intervention. And I said, fair enough. And with those clients that don't want to use arts, I probably, you know, work a lot with metaphoric language, which is another way of using arts. But All I right. don't bring the materials into the session. But I said most people are playful, you know, and they love using images, using art. So depending on the clients, every time I'm going to use something new, I, I have a, this short conversation and I ask for permission. So never yes. will use something if I don't have the client's permission. But for me, it takes, you know, the conversation to a different level because it helps to accelerate the process. When you need to describe something, when you need to explain something, well, you can do it, but it takes time. Sometimes when you are using a photography, when you are using music, sometimes you're using the body, the client connects, you know, to their emotions very, very, very quickly. Yes. And you can raise their self-awareness. Absolutely. And of course, art therapy has been, I mean, from a therapeutic sense for a long time, hasn't it? Do we have any research on this within a, a coaching context yet? We do have some, not so much, but there is research using photography that was Donaldson and, and Hefferon. One of my students, Beth Madmanus, this is published in the Philosophy of Coaching, so it's open, yes. use music in coaching supervision. And then there's another paper with other authors and Stephen Palmer. And I feel sorry for the other authors because I always say Stephen Palmer, but there are more people there. (laughs) They they are based in German. I think it's Katharina Klick and and others. And they did some research using dancing and coaching psychology. And they wanted to explore the impact, you know, of rhythmic movements and music 
Amazing. In a coaching session. So there is some research, not a lot, but it's coming. Yeah, fantastic, Andrea. I wasn't aware of that one. I'd love to see that paper or yeah. a chapter, the dancing study. The dancing is a paper. It's a paper, paper it's published in one of uh, Stephen's, you know, journals. I remember that I... But it was by chance, but I was invited to review that paper. Right. So I read it, you know, and I said, oh, there's something interesting here. So we do have research. I always explain, you know, my students that even though there is not a lot of research, we have a lot of sources that we can look at. So we have all the works in art therapy, all the works, you know, in, in therapeutic arts, which is a different concept. Yes. And we have some work in positive psychology because... We have Positive Humanities, James Pavelski. And last week with uh, Martin Seligman visited us at the University of London. Yes, I saw that. He was talking about well-being arts as a field, you know, to explore. And I could say very quickly, but the main difference between Positive Humanities and the works, you know, they are doing and well-being arts, it's Positive Humanities is more used on the focus on the values of arts, you know, going to museums and, and professional musicians and all that for well-being, whether well-being arts, it's more for everyone, you know, you can take a picture and engage in something. Yeah, brilliant. Now, Andrea, I want to ask you too, given you've mentioned that you do yourself offer coaching psych supervision, you run that in group sessions. Yes, four people. You know that in the UK we have a new division of uh, coaching psychology. I do. That's very exciting. Yes. And one of the requirements is for people to have supervision with coaching psychologists. Interesting. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So that's part of the to maintain your registration in that division or yeah fantastic i love those groups you know uh, there are small groups for people we meet for 90 minutes you know and and we reflect on, on coaching well anything related to their coaching practice but always using the lenses of psychology this is the difference exactly and the students of the map cp as are the students of UCID coaching masters where i taught for a long time most of them have very diverse backgrounds. They're not necessarily psychologists. Does the division offer some sort of affiliate or associate arrangement if you're a non-psychologist? Yeah, yeah, of course. There is a, an affiliate, you know, options. Yes. The only thing, you can't become a chartered psychologist. But yes, yes, there are options there because the idea is to promote. You can be a psychologist and a coach. Yes. And, and you will but also you can be a coach and, and use all the evidence base and be interested in research, yeah. Absolutely. And so the potentially non-psych coaches who are affiliates, do they also have a requirement to show that they've been doing ongoing supervision? No. Although, it, and be interested to hear what you say, but at University of Sydney there was no requirement for supervision, but I know students that did their master's maybe 10 years ago and they still meet in this like for supervision because they're ongoing practitioners and they they love that in a peer supervision. Some of them also then form a group and engage a professional uh, supervisor as well. But how important is supervision? Because I know in the early days, as psychologists, as you and I know, it's a requirement to have supervision. But I've been in this field long enough to see in the early days, no one was really talking about it. And I'm talking like nearly 20 years ago now. But now there's so much more interest in coaching supervision, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, it is growing. And I think it's necessary and, and you can learn a lot 
we offer coaching supervision at UEL. So our students are very much used. We have the requirement because the program is accredited master practitioner level by the EMCC. So there is a requirement to have supervision and we offer it. Uh, the only problem is when they come towards the end of the program because they said, okay, I finished the program now. Will you keep offering supervision for free? And I said, yeah, well, no, <laughs> become a professional. You pay for that. But exactly. but they are very much used, you know, to engage in supervision and reflective practice. Yeah, it's so fantastic. Within my Business Positivity Institute, we run a regular journal club where we, you know, I, it's normally me because I love keeping an eye on the research. And so I'll share a paper and say who wants to present on this. And uh, it's so wonderful, isn't it? particularly when you're working with practitioners to get their ideas around the application, because I think we are still, you know, we're still pioneering in some ways around the application of the post-psych science into coaching. If you compare, you know, coaching with therapy, therapy has been many, many years out there and they're still trying to find the answers. I think, (laughs) you know, in social science, you're always trying, you know, to improve what you do, but there are more questions than answers. Yeah, absolutely. Is there any book or besides your fantastic book for those that work in education? And we didn't really get to talk much about that. And it's a topic or an area that we both share a a passion for. But is there any book or podcast or particularly, again, for those coaches that perhaps don't know much about positive psychology coaching or positive psych coaching site that you would recommend? Well, in positive psychology coaching, I always recommend your book, Positive oh, Psychology <laughs> Coaching in Practice. It's thank uh, you. your book with Stephen Palmer. As I said before, there are not many books about, you know, using arts in coaching, but they, they will it's be. It's coming. It's coming. But there are a good range of papers. You know, we don't have time here, but if anyone is interested, I'm happy, you know, to share uh, some of the main papers. And I think a must read now if you're interested in, in arts and coaching, even though, you know, the connection is not there. But it's the new handbook of uh, positive humanities that was published last year. Ah, is that James Pawalski? Yes. Yeah, right. And it is a compilation, you know, of research around arts and positive psychology. So I think it's a must read because if we learn more about the use, you know, of arts in positive psychology, it's easier to make the connection with coaching. Yeah. And of course, The Division also has its own podcast. And I've listened to the first series. I I believe the second series is just launched. I haven't had a chance to listen yet, but that's a brilliant resource as well. Yeah, there are many very good podcasts out there, including yours. Oh, thank you. And it's a great way, you know, to learn about coaching and positive psychology coaching. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Andrea. You are a wealth of knowledge. The students at UEL are so lucky to have you. And um, it's a pleasure and a privilege to work with you as well through UEL. And uh, oh, I look forward to seeing you in Vancouver at the International Positive Psychology Congress coming up in July. And we'll also post some information on that. That will be also an opportunity uh, for those that might attend to learn more about positive psych and coaching psych. Definitely. I look forward to meeting you there, Susie. And thank you very much for this invitation. Thank you so much for listening to Coach Plus, the art and science of positive psychology coaching. If you're new to the field, check out my two co-edited texts, Positive Psychology Coaching in Practice with Professor Stephen Palmer and Positive Psychology Coaching in the Workplace with Wendy Smith and Professor Alona Bonniewell. You might also like to check out our new Academy Plus, 
and use the tab on our website, thepositivityinstitute.com.au, where you can learn more about positive psychology coaching with me. Don't forget to sign up for our free e-news when you're there, where you'll be kept in the loop for all things positive. Bye for now.